are you today? Everybody's good? Everybody kind of coming out of the tryptophan coma? How many of you ate too much? Let me just see a show of hands. That's okay. That's all right. That's kind of what is, you know, that's one of the things you kind of get to do. You know, like um, a lot of startups, whether they be businesses or even other churches, the early years of Lake Hills Church were really and truly a full court press for all of us who were a part of those years and especially for our family. It was just one of those seasons of life where they were packed with whatever it takes days and until it's done nights. And I remember one year in particular, after about two or three years, our family got some time away and went to Mississippi between Christmas and New Year's. It's a ritual that we have since observed many, many times since, but this year in particular stands out in my memory. Just to give you kind of a, a setting, what would happen is we would go to Mississippi on Christmas Day after we've done all of our Christmas Eve services around here, and we would celebrate reconnecting with family, cousins, in-laws, have a big meal, do Christmas around the tree, and then we will disperse into the Mississippi woods for the purposes of hunting and gathering, collecting meat for the winter for the family so the children can eat. And this particular year, I found myself in a deer blind in Mississippi, and I was sitting there waiting for Muy Grande's Mississippi cousin to walk out into the clearing, and nothing much was moving. It was just kind of real quiet and still, and I was sitting there and kind of on pins and needles when all of a sudden... I felt my entire body exhale. I just felt every fiber in my body just kind of loosen up and uncoil and relax. I don't know if you've ever felt anything like that, but physically, I just kind of, I felt myself just go, and what I realized in that moment was how tightly wound I had been for months and months and months prior to that. And so there in that deer blind, I just kind of had a moment with God. And I just went, how many of you have ever had a moment with God in a deer blind? Can I see a show of hands? <laughs> Potential leaders at Lake Hills Church, all of you. <laughs> but I, re I remember that moment as just like, wow. Real quickly, I want to share with you kind of that moment. I want everybody to kind of sit up straight for just a second. Just everybody sit up straight. And I want everybody to take in a deep breath and hold it for just a second. Just, and now just let it out through your nostrils in case you didn't brush your teeth right before you walked in. Just kind of just let that breath out. Isn't that relaxing? Here's what I discovered in my moment in the Mississippi woods in a deer blind. There is an amazing power in peace. There's an incredible power in peace that God actually created us to live in, to experience, and to express on a regular basis. But what I have found out about my own life, and unless I miss my guess about a lot of people in this room or maybe watching online, is that that power of peace is something that we experience much more as an exception than a rule. And you can understand that God created us to live with this power of peace as a rule if you go back to the very beginning. If you go back to the beginning in Genesis when God created the heavens and the earth, there were Adam and Eve experiencing the peace of God, experiencing peace in the home, in their marriage, until sin entered the picture. It wasn't until sin entered the picture that guilt 
and shame came into existence. It wasn't until sin entered the picture that Adam and Eve felt like they needed to hide from God and even to hide from each other. And so you can also go to the end of the Bible. In, in the book of Revelation, when God is describing the end times, and he says there in Revelation that in the end times there will be no more war, there will be no more crying, there will be no more illness, no more sickness. There will be peace. There is this power of peace. And I wonder this morning how many of us in this room, like your pastor, if we were to be completely honest with ourselves, completely honest with God, and even completely honest with each other, how many of us in this room could use a little more peace in our lives? Can I, I'm just curious. Is there anybody here who has too much peace? Anybody's like, oh, any more peace? I'm going to be in a coma. I, that, this is something that we need. This is something that our world does not do particularly well. And what's really interesting is how the holidays seem to crystallize the tension that we feel and experience. I would suggest to you that really what happens at the holidays is really just kind of what is always there throughout the rest of the year kind of brought to a boil, if you will. If you've got tension in your family, hello holidays. <laughs> if you've got a cluttered closet, yeah, somebody right there, that was the, the voice of conviction. You've got a cluttered closet, calendar, desk, drawers, car. Man, the holidays, it's going to be just a complete chaotic nightmare if you're not really, really deliberate about it and that is not the way God created us to live what's especially ironic about the holidays is that the very central event the hub around which all of the holidays spin is designed to be a celebration of the Prince of Peace the, the reality is that Jesus's birth the the incarnation God made flesh human being is to be a celebration of the peace that is possible in Jesus Christ last weekend we began a series called the Christmas presence the presence of God in Jesus that in Emmanuel we have God with us and that that presence of God brings with it a certain power we talked about the power of good news but this week we're gonna go back to that exchange between the angels who announced the birth of Christ and the shepherds to whom they announced it on the hills outside of Bethlehem to find exactly what it is that God is doing, what he is up to in the person of Jesus as it pertains to peace. And to do that, we're going to go to the book of Luke, chapter number 2. This is how the Bible records this moment. It says, Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace say peace peace, peace to those on whom his favor rests now if you weren't here last week I want to make sure that we understand kind of the setting and the context in these hills outside of Bethlehem you and I when we hear Bethlehem we think Christmas carols and mangers and oh little town of Bethlehem and, and we get real poetic and nostalgic about, about Bethlehem but in that context Bethlehem was a little one horse podunk town if you were trying to think of an, equa an equivalent to Bethlehem you would go to Lukenbach 
I mean, there was not much in Bethlehem. And yet it was there that God became flesh. It was there outside of Bethlehem that God announced the incarnation. It was there that God, through the angels, told the shepherds, there's something different happening in Bethlehem today. It is a new day because of what's happening in Bethlehem. And when the angel, angelic host said, glory to God in the highest, there's peace on earth, they were echoing the Old Testament prophecy that had been uttered by Isaiah some 700 years prior to this moment. In Isaiah chapter 9, this is what the prophet wrote, inspired by the Spirit of God. The prophet said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This Jesus, born in Bethlehem, is the Prince of Peace. Now, the word peace, you and I probably instinctively and reflexively think about the absence of war. We, we think about peace, war and peace, the absence of war, or maybe solitude and quiet. How many of you are moms? Can I just see a show of hands if you're a mom? And you have experienced life with more than one child under the age of five at some point in your life. Okay. You understand the need for peace. You understand the absence of war because a lot of times kids kind of go like this as they get older and they age. And you're like, just peace. My mom was an English teacher. And she would say this when my brothers and I would, my brothers are two and a half years younger than I am. And when we would kind of get into it, which happened a couple of times, because my brothers were a handful, my mom would say, cease and desist. Now, I have to tell you, as a child, I would say, I think I know, but what does that mean? My mom was calling for peace and quiet in the home. When you hear the word peace, biblically, there is a lot more packed into it than just the absence of war or quiet solitude. The word peace, biblically, is better translated as the word from the original Hebrew, the original Hebrew, shalom. Shalom is a word that we're probably familiar with. You've heard about it, but it's imperative as we talk about the power of peace that we understand what's really going on. Real quickly, with passion and enthusiasm and Christmas love in your heart, look at your neighbor and tell them, shalom, y'all. Shalom is a powerful Hebrew word. We don't have an English word that carries with it the connotation and the significance that's packed into it. But Dr. Tim Keller from Redeemer Presbyterian in New York and an author explains shalom like this. I would encourage you to write this down. It's a great description. Shalom is the complete flourishing in every sense because all relationships are right, perfect, and filled with joy. Shalom is the complete flourishing in every sense because all relationships are right, perfect, and filled with joy. Shalom. Every relationship flourishing, thriving. Every business encounter flourishing, 
thriving. Every marriage flourishing, thriving. Every dating relationship flourishing, thriving. Every parent-child relationship flourishing, thriving. Every relationship with the community at large flourishing, thriving. It is this idea of shalom, y'all. Shalom. Shalom is powerful. Shalom is the design and the desire of God. Another way that you could think of shalom is just the way things ought to be. Shalom is just the way things ought to be. God is good. He created this world to be good. He created relationships to be good. So shalom is just the way things ought to be. The way things God promises one day will be. The way things we know at one point were. But you and I, we live in the here and now, in the in-between. We, we know some shalom, but we know a lot of anti-shalom too, don't we? I mean, we, we, we understand that that powerful peace of God is not always there. So in the time that we've got left today, I want us to, to lay out a roadmap to shalom, a roadmap to peace. So everybody take your program out that you got when you came in. Everybody just pick up your program, if you would, real quickly. Everybody, pick up that program and open it up. And where it says message notes, I want you to just write the word peace down the side of the page right there. Just peace, P-E-A-C-E, -E. all the way down the side of the page. And we're going to make this a little interactive this morning because it's Thanksgiving and we're kind of coming out of our tryptophan coma. We're, we're going to interact a little bit today, okay? I had a feeling that might happen. When we talk about peace, it begins with the letter P. So I want to ask you with passion and enthusiasm and Christian Christmas love in your heart. Give me a P. P. Prioritize the glory of God. If you want to really and truly know the power of peace, it starts... When you or I prioritize the glory of God. What was the first thing that the angels said in their sign-off to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem? Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. Honoring him above every name. King of kings. Lord of lords. Glorifying God. When you prioritize the glory of God, you have taken the first step towards the power of peace. So that no matter what you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. I wonder this morning, how many of y'all are students? You, you've got, you're in school or you're going back to school. You, you've got finals coming up. Man, I'm so glad I'm not you. <laughs> I, I was never like a big scholar for the sake of scholarship. I went to school as a means to an end, but that's just not my bag. But you know, if you're in school right now, you have an opportunity to glorify God academically. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll get a 4-0, but, but you have an opportunity to do the absolute best with what God has given you, 
no matter how little that may be, no matter how much that might be, you have an opportunity to glorify God academically as you prepare for finals. You step back and you say, okay, God's given me this mind, this brain. I'm in school. I can't get out of it. For some of us, it may be a, a state mandate that you have to be in school. But you're in school, so whatever you do, glorify God with what he's given you, with what you have at your disposal right here, right now. You make that your first priority. And then let the chips fall where they may. You prioritize the glory of God. In your business, you, you make getting up and going to work tomorrow, the Monday after Thanksgiving. <laughs> and, and you just go, okay, whatever I do today is to the glory of God. That is where the power of peace begins. Because it's when we begin to glorify God that we begin to orient our lives around the reality that it's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. We were created for the glory of God, to his credit, to reflect his character, his personality. Real quickly, I want you to put something in your mind. Think about somebody you know who is selfish, okay? Some of you might have just spent Thanksgiving with them, but just think about somebody who's selfish. Okay, now I don't know who is in the frontal lobe of your brain right now, but I do know this. That's not a joyful person. You, you have never locked eyes with a joyful, selfish man or woman or student or child. It, selfishness is counter to joy because selfishness is counter to the character of God we were created to represent. So whenever I step away from the character of God, I'm stepping away from the power of peace. When I step toward the character of God, when I begin to emulate the personality and the character of God, when I begin to reflect his character, I begin to experience a peace. Then, then I kind of like, okay, the circumstances can be swirling around me, but God's still God, and this is about him. So prioritize the glory of God. E, give me an E. e. Experience the forgiveness of God. Experience the forgiveness of God. One of the number one peace killers in the world. Let me, let me personalize that. One of the number one peace killers in our lives personally is guilt and shame. Guilt and shame will rob you of the power of peace faster than anything else you can think of. And guilt and shame are not tools of a loving God. The Bible says that Satan is our accuser. God is our forgiver. Look at what the Bible says in the book of Colossians chapter 1 about the forgiveness of God. It says, once before Christ, 
you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. I mean, we, we all know what a guilty conscience feels like, don't we? We all know what it's like to kind of be ashamed of something we've done, said, taken. We know that in our hearts. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Are you kidding me? Without blemish and free from accusation. That's what Jesus did on the cross for you. For you personally by name. How many of y'all remember watching football games, especially Monday night football back in the day, when the guy with the big rainbow afro held up the sign that said John 3.16? Y'all remember that? If you don't, you're young. If you do, you're old. <laughs> but John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not die but will have eternal life. For God so loved the world so that whoever, so that you ever believe in him, you will not die. You will have eternal life if you experience the forgiveness of God in Christ. You see, when Christ died on the cross... He experienced the rupture of relationship that we experience with God. Because the Bible says he became my sin. He became your sin. And as such, his relationship with God, the Father, was severed. This is why Jesus called out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, Jesus became my sin. He became your sin. But then Jesus did what we couldn't have done for ourselves. He rose again. He defeated death. He subdued sin. And he got up from the dead. And in doing that, he brings us to Colossians chapter 1. We were alienated, but now he reconciled us by Christ's physical body. When Jesus rose from the dead... He rose with the promise of new life and reconciliation, being restored to a right relationship with God that we were created to experience in the first place. So we experience the forgiveness of God. A. Give me an A. A. Access the presence of God. Access the presence of God. Now, this is where it's going to get really, really tough. You and I live in a world that does not encourage accessing the presence of God. It's an incredible place to get to live. We, we live in an amazing time in an amazing city. But the vast majority of us, myself included, have trouble accessing the presence of God. Look at Psalm chapter 46. Psalm chapter 46 talks about this in verses 9 and 10. God makes wars cease 
to the ends of the earth. The absence of war, peace. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. Stillness is hard work. Have you noticed that? Stillness is really, really tough. So here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you right now. Today, not Monday, not tomorrow, today, I want to challenge you to carve out 10 minutes of stillness. 10 minutes of quiet, just you and God. Maybe go outside, leave your phone inside. <laughs> yes. Put the cell phone down. Step away from the cell phone. Leave your beeper by your bedside. And if you have a beeper, throw it away. But carve out 10 minutes of stillness to just be with God, to maybe pray, to certainly listen, and just ask God, Father, speak to me. Now, I will tell you, if you're not familiar with this discipline, if you've not done it a lot, you probably will not hear the audible voice of God. I'm not saying you won't. I'm saying you probably won't. But you will be amazed at what God will lead you to in your heart, in, in your mind, the thoughts that he will give you if you will just be still and know that he is God. Be still and reflect on his goodness and access the presence of God. It's an amazing thing. Access the presence of God today. C. Give me a C. C. Chase the favor of God. Chase the favor of God. Now, I have to tell you something. I have been a Christ follower for a long time. I'm 47 years old. I did vacation Bible school, graham cracker, Kool-Aids, little you know, felt images, all that stuff. I didn't know until just recently that the favor of God is something that we ought to chase. We ought to ask for. Look at what the Bible says. Also from Psalms chapter 90. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. God, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, don't worry about this being selfish because we've already established the fact that we have prioritized the glory of God. That's bottom line. But working up from that, God, give us your favor. As we glorify you in everything that we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, give us your favor. Give us your favor as parents. God, I pray that you will give me wisdom as a dad to shepherd these little blessings 
to referee when they fight, to be calm when they disrespect, to enforce when they break the rules. God, give me favor as a dad. God, give me favor as a husband. Help me to fulfill this role, to occupy that office in a way that glorifies you and also blesses my bride, Julie. I'm chasing the favor of God. I'm asking for it. I like what Pastor Mark Batterson writes in his incredible book, The Circle Maker. He says that we should work like it depends upon us and pray like it depends on God. Words to live by right there. Work like it depends on us and pray like it depends on God. That's what Psalm chapter 90 is saying right there. God, establish the work of our hands. Whatever we do, give us your favor. Give us your favor. Now, with this final E, I just need to tell you, we're fixing to ramp it up. We're going to take it to the H&L. If you've been around here any time at all, you know that we're taking it to the whole nother level. And I know that whole is spelled with a W. <laughs> but you just need to lighten up and go with it, all right? So real quickly, give me an E. e. Enjoy the sanctification of God. Sanctification? That's a big old church word. Yeah, it is. Enjoy the sanctification of God. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is very simply this. It is the perfecting of your spirit. If you'll notice, I'll say, I said the perfecting. It is a work in progress. It doesn't mean that the second you come to a relationship in Christ, you are sanctified. It means that you are beginning the process of being made more like Christ. That's why I prefer the term a Christ follower to just a Christian. A Christ follower tells me who I am, what I'm supposed to do. Christian is kind of an adjective that can be used a lot of different ways. I go to a Christian school. No, you don't. There's not one school that's going to heaven. Christian music. No, there's no music going to heaven because it's that type of music. You're a Christ follower. You're following Christ. You're being sanctified. You're being made over in the image of Jesus himself. Now, there's nothing wrong with what we you know, lovingly refer to as a Christian school or Christian music. That's fine. But a Christ follower is somebody who is being sanctified by the Holy Spirit of God. And in that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, there is incredible peace. Here's why. 
Because you were made to reflect the character of God. And the closer you reflect the character of God, the more peaceful you're going to be. The less accurately I reflect the character and personality of God, the less peaceful I'm going to be. But sanctification, make no mistake about it, is not easy. It, it is hard work for the Holy Spirit to be turning this into more like Christ. Because let me tell you something. I've never in my life had to take a class on selfishness. I got that one down, Jack. I know exactly how to look out for number one. But it is the Spirit of God who teaches me to put others' needs above my own. It is the Spirit of God who teaches me to humble myself before God and other people. It is the Spirit of God who reminds me over and over and over and over and over again that I have not arrived. It is the Spirit of God who does the work of sanctifying. To be sanctified means to be set apart, to be holy. And we, as Christ followers, are in process. But in that process, there is a power of peace like nowhere else. It is the peace that passes all understanding. It is the peace of God that passes all understanding and guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And it's different. Your life's going to look different. Your relationships will be different. Living in the power of the peace of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what tension or stress or anxiety or relational squabble you might be carrying around with you today, but I do know this. The peace of God in Jesus Christ is greater. It is more powerful. And it is absolutely available to anyone who would believe in him. And in a room like this, on a Thanksgiving weekend, the reality is that probably somebody is here in this room and you have never stepped into that relationship with Christ. Maybe you've gone to church or you tried to be a good person, but you've never personally appropriated the reconciliation that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection accomplished. That only Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection accomplishes. And if that's you today, then we as a church want to invite you to step into that relationship, to respond to Jesus' grace initiative. In just a moment, to pray a prayer of commitment, a prayer of relationship beginning, just right where you're sitting, from your heart to his, with everything that you've got. I want to ask you if you will bow your heads for just a moment.
And in this moment, if you are at a place of beginning, a place to respond to the grace of God, then I want to invite you to pray right where you're sitting, silently just talking to God. Just silently say to him, Jesus, I need your peace. Jesus, I need you. And so I give you my life. Right here, right now. I confess my sin. To claim your forgiveness. Once and for all. Jesus, I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again for me. And I accept. I believe from this moment forward in trust, in faith. And I pray this prayer, Jesus, in your name, once and for all. I want to ask you to remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment. Because this is holy ground that we're on as God moves in individual lives. But if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it for the first time in your life, in this sacred moment, I want to ask you just very quietly, if you would, raise your hand and just raise it up, but hold it up high over your head for just a moment as you do. And as you hold your hands up, I want you to know with your hands up that this is the most important moment of your life. It's a holy moment. And so, as a church, we want to help you mark this moment. To remember that this happened. It's real. And so we're going to just pass something down the road to you that's just for you if your hand was up. It's a gift. There's a Bible and some information for you to read later on, but inside there is a card. And we would ask that you just allow us the blessing to help you in this new relationship to begin a dialogue by filling out that card so that we can come alongside to celebrate, to help as you grow in this new relationship as you embark upon the journey of sanctification this is what the church gets to do this is our responsibility our privilege so we would ask you just to fill that out and in just a moment when the offering bag comes by if you just drop that card in the bag so we can contact you at your convenience 
as I said, to begin this process of relationship with God, this process of relationship with the family of faith, the church. The whole reason we exist as a church family is to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. And so when that happens in your life, in any life, as a church, we're better, we're stronger, we're healthier for it. And so as a church, our family tradition is around here is to tell you, welcome home, and to celebrate you by putting our hands together and telling you, welcome home.